you know, even atheists have their deceased loved ones come to get them. It's okay to say there's all these horrible things that happen in the world, but also acknowledge that there's also a spiritual side that you see and acknowledge, and it doesn't have to be one way or the other. But I want to be on hospice. I'm ready to die. And I was like, did you see something whenever you died? I asked it a little bit more professional than that, but that's basically what I said. And she was like, yeah, it's, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and I'm ready to go. Welcome to another episode with Nurse Hadley because this is the second time she's been on. I just clarified she was on episode 33, which what was that date? That was November 3rd, 2021. So it's been a it's been a couple of years since we last spoke in this capacity and it's good to have you back. For anyone that has or hasn't heard her first episode, uh, we'll probably tap into some similar discussions, but she has a new book coming out and what what was the date that your book is releasing? June 13th. June 13th. So this will be in the future, I guess, because we're going to release this episode when that book is available. So Nurse Hallie is going to share some stories and a little bit of that will tie into her book. But ultimately, you know, um, I want to start off because there was one quote that I did see in the beginning of the book that says, you understood death happening at the end of life and not the beginning of life after you lost a friend named Taylor in high school, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I thought that was just a fascinating and very simple thing to say because it's like it's understood that way. But when you, I guess, lose someone at such a young age and at a young age, you anticipate death is happening so further down the line. So I would love to start off with that story of losing Taylor and how it shifted your religious beliefs and turned your life upside down in many ways. And then I want to tap into some of the stories that you've experienced as a hospice nurse, because uh, besides the fact that some of these stories defy, you know, medical diagnosis or medical reasons as to why something happened, I think it could give us a little bit of an answer as how to live life and maybe some some fascinating philosophical questions about maybe what happens after life. So what was that process of losing your friend Taylor and how did that change your life? Yeah, that was really difficult. So my grandparents are licensed embalmers and funeral directors. So I grew up really feeling like I had an understanding of death. You know, we talked about it. Um, I knew what they did, but it was something that happened to grandparents and great-grandparents and, you know, didn't, it, nothing had hit so close to home before. Um, and then when I was 15, we were at a football game and my friend, my good friend, um, Taylor Haugen, he was on the JV football team and it was the first football game of the year. And he went up to, to catch the ball and um, two football players from the other team hit him from both sides and it uh, damaged his liver. Um, he actually was able to run off the field and then he collapsed on the side of the field. So they had the ambulance take him. But because he had run off the field, most of us did not know how serious things were at the time. You know, we thought maybe he broke a bone or you know, things that you see during football. So they brought him into emergency surgery and they could not save his life. And this is a very small town that I'm from. It's called Niceville, Florida. It's an actual place. And um, so we're, you know, we're all very close, smaller school compared to some bigger cities. And the next morning, I show up to a church car wash fundraiser thing uh, with my friends and everyone's crying. And they say that he died. And I did not accept it or think that it was true. 
at first. And, you know, of course it was true. And I just really could not come to terms with it. And I was raised so heavily in church. And I kept asking people like, why would this happen? Like, I don't understand. I do not understand this at all. I have a very firm understanding of people living their entire lives and then dying. But 15 years old playing football, like, I don't, I don't understand why that would happen. And I really never felt like I got adequate explanations for it. And it really made me start to question my faith. So what is that process? Because I, I think that uh, the conversation with when something bad happens and all the evil in the world and as it relates to religion, people that aren't religious always kind of throw that at religion and be like, okay, well, how do you explain that? So coming from that, what, what, how do you explain that? Because I know you just say you didn't get an explanation, so maybe that's a silly question, but how did you process that in comparison to your religious beliefs? So I really just started to to question it at the time. I just was like, you know, everyone was saying that this God is so loving and so amazing. And I was like, but why why did he need my friend? I don't, I do not understand why he needed, he had a whole life to live. He had all these plans. You know, I, I just really did not understand it. And people just kept saying, you know, there's a plan and you just need, you know, there's a plan that we don't need to understand. You don't need to understand it. And you know, it's almost like a thoughts and prayers kind of thing where you're like, I don't know. I don't think that this is right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's to me, I'm not knocking any religion because I was, I mean, I was raised Catholic. Um, I did that whole thing and, uh, I never, it it doesn't even seem like an answer. It's like, we trust, okay, we trust this plan. Well, I haven't even seen the syllabus. (laughs) I haven't seen the blueprint. So what plan are we talking about here? Uh, so I don't know, that's gotta be difficult, but what was that process of like the grief process and what happened next in regards to how you got through that? Yeah, I would not say it was very pretty. I would love to say like, oh, I grieved and it was, you know, great. Um, It was not pretty. I was very angry at literally everyone. And, you know, I still went to church because I was forced to. And then two years later, when I went off to college or three years later, I did, I completely stopped going to church. And I really was, I mean, I was drinking every night. I just was not You know, I didn't see any plan or future for myself. And it was really, really difficult. And that's how I really coped with it. And um, at 19, I ended up pregnant with my son, which is what led me into nursing, um, just to have something that was stable and a great job. And that's how I ended up back in hospice. And now looking back, I feel like I'm like, okay, this was, there was a plan. Like this was all meant to be this way, but it was definitely not very pretty (laughs) <laughs> at the start, by any means. Yeah, it's interesting. Cause I, I, I feel like, yeah, you can look at it as like a plan and, and, you know, your life got to where you are today for that reason. But at the same time, then you look back at, you know, Taylor's family and, and, and what happened to his intimate family. Like, hey, like how, like what the hell is, you know, hell, I shouldn't have said hell in that sentence, forgive me. Um, that's a whole nother conversation that we could have. But like, as it affects them, like, you know, the, the, their perspective, I'm not going to speak on their behalf. And this is a rhetorical question, but it's like, how did that plan work out for them? You know what I mean? When, when you lose a child that I, I don't have any kids, um, I, the only person close to me that I saw lose a child, actually lost uh, several, that, that has to be one of the worst things, if not the worst in regards to losing someone. I don't like to make a hierarchy of death, but losing a child. So like, I can't imagine the processing of losing Taylor as the parents and then understanding, oh yeah, this is God's plan. Don't, 
you know, question of this is this, that, and the other. And I'm sure, but this kind of is a good segue into what we're talking about because, uh, you know, I feel like from your perspective, seeing so much death in your life, uh, besides your experience with Taylor as a hospice nurse, it allows you to see life in a different way and essentially live better. So if it's a good segue for you, um, I would love to hear some, whether you want to reference some stories that you have in the book, because I'm so fascinated in the stories that you shared with us in the prior episode and that you do so wonderfully on your social media. Are there any stories that you'd want to start off with and sharing about some of your experiences with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So with that being said, I went into hospice nursing not believing in anything, um, just thinking that this was life and after it's over, it's over. Um, I had previously before hospice spent about a year in the ER and that only furthered those beliefs, just seeing the true underbelly of the world, the worst things that can possibly happen. And so I went into hospice and actually chapter one, but my first patient death in hospice, I went and she was seeing her deceased sister and she was talking to her and I thought that she needed medications because that's what you do in every other specialty there is. So I went to my manager and was like, okay, like, what are we going to do for this? Like, what are the medications we use? And she was like, we're not going to do that. She is seeing her deceased loved one. And, you know, that's great. She's calm. She's happy. There's no need to do anything. And I started talking to all of my other coworkers and the doctors and just everyone and realizing that hospice workers have a totally different viewpoint on medicine than everyone else. They accept that they're seeing their deceased loved ones and it's not thought of to be a hallucination or a medication side effect. And I thought they were all crazy (laughs) at first. (laughs) I was like, y'all have lost your minds. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, as I kept going in my career, I realized they're not. And it's a very different type of medicine. And it's it's very interesting to see, that's for sure. And I still see it. I still work as a hospice nurse. What do you mean a different type of medicine? So maybe I misunderstood, sorry. Yeah, so we accept the spiritual side and we incorporate it into medicine. So whenever people see their deceased loved ones or they're having what we call a surge of energy, instead of saying, oh, we need medications to stop these things from happening, we just support them through it and we make sure that they're safe. So the surge of energy, if people don't know, is where people will suddenly get a burst of energy before they die. And sometimes people will think that their loved one is getting better. So if they've been bed bound for a year, they might get up and go sit in the living room and eat some ice cream. And it happens and then they die pretty soon after. We don't know why it happens. But we accept that. And instead of saying, oh, we need medications to treat, you know, delusions or hallucinations or whatever's going on, we just say, I want to make sure you're safe. Make sure you have someone standing by you when you're getting out of bed. And you accept that spiritual side of it instead of thinking that it's another symptom that needs to be treated, which I love. Yeah, I mean, especially if if it seems that it's not bothering them. You know, it seems, if anything, positive for whoever's going through it. So with that surge of energy, are they— it's just an acceptance. Has there studies that look further? Are people looking further into this to find an explanation, or are they just labeling it as something that just defies medical explanation? Yeah, they they try to study it. They actually just they just got a grant recently to study 
more of those end-of-life phenomenon, such as seeing deceased loved ones and surges of energy. And what the paper I just read just this week said is that the wall they're running into is that it's such a sensitive environment that really cannot be controlled. You know, you're in their, their homes. And so they really just have to rely on what hospice nurses say that they see. So that's what most of the studies are, is just talking to hospice nurses like me and saying, what do you see? And then cross-referencing. And by doing that, they've come to find that people across all backgrounds, religions, areas are all having the same experiences. That's what it seems like. So I remember, uh, I feel like you told me this, I, you know, I've had hospice nurse Julie and Penny on, and it's cool to, I, I love talking to all of you because I find that it's such a correlation to what I'm doing. And it's such a deep dive of all, you, you see everything, you know, you get that spiritual realm, you see the physical dying process, you see the emotional aspect of how families hear it. So you are getting like a school, you guys, are the true school of death, which is so fascinating. And, um, it's just, it's wild to me that, yeah, it, it is, it's tough to get true data and studying because it's not like they're in the room and, you know, performing experiments or they're, you know, studying the actual dying process, which is another thing is like, I feel like I, I wish I could put it in my will. Like when I die, I would, I want to let people in to study me when this, if I'm, God forbid the day I'm in or whatever, I'm in hospice. Like I want to like sign it off to study me because that's like, I think that's so important to understand because I feel like it would shift so much if people saw actual data and scientific research as opposed to anecdotes. But at the same time, the the stories that I hear from such reputable sources like you and other ho- hospice nurses around the world is like, how do you deny that? You know what I mean? And, and it kind of comes full circle about, you know, your initial, or I don't know if you found faith again, but your initial religious beliefs in the spiritual realm was questioned. And then you come into a field like this, which gives you even more question, like to make it believe, to believe it more, you know? So what does this make you feel when you have this end of life phenomenon? What does that do to your beliefs now? Yeah. So after seeing it enough and having, you know, enough things happen to where I felt like I couldn't explain them away is, you know, the common denominator with people seeing their deceased loved ones is me. You know, it's not like they can talk to each other and be like, oh, let's let's all pretend like we're seeing our deceased loved ones. You know, a lot of my patients have already died and still to this day, they're all seeing the same thing, which is, you know, their deceased loved ones. And You know, I finally, I ended up in therapy about a year into my hospice journey, and she really talked me through my therapist, uh, black and white thinking, and it does not have to be both extremes, and that's one of the reasons why my book is called The In-Between. It's okay to be an in-between. It's okay to say there's all these horrible things that happen in the world, but also acknowledge that there's also a spiritual side that you see and acknowledge, and it doesn't have to be one way or the other. And that's something I really struggled with for a long time. So out of all the, these experiences, end of night phenomenons, you know, the visioning, if I'm, is it's visioning, right? When you see, when people see deceased loved ones at the end of their life, is that what it's called? Yeah. So out of all these experiences, is which one has shaped your perception of the world the most? Like whether you want to reference another story or specific story or just a generalized experience, what is the most quote unquote with the wrong word to say absurd experience that you see over and over again if it's not just seeing deceased loved ones that just make you concretely believe okay there's something more than this life that we have when we die yeah 
So I have had so many people see their deceased loved ones. There is one. She is in my book. I call her Sue. And I took care of her for a very long time, you know, months, more than six months. So I knew her very, very, very well. And she was one of my first few patients that I had as a hospice nurse. And whenever you get to know someone well, you trust them, you know, naturally. And she was actually extremely religious and whenever she had, she thought she was going to die. She had COPD. So she had an episode where she could not breathe and she thought she was going to die. I thought she was going to die. And she told me that when it came down to it, down to that second, she questioned her beliefs. She was like, when I was facing it, I was like, am I, is there nothing? Is there about to be nothing? And she was scared. And this was someone who was extremely, extremely, extremely religious. And I was like, okay, like I, I get that. And then a couple of weeks later, I show up and she's seeing her deceased husband. And there is this calmness. And I asked her, I said, are you scared like of dying like you were before? And she said, no, I'm not, not at all. And when he had come to get her, she was not scared at all. And for me, I was like, wow, that's really something whenever he was finally there to get her that she felt complete calmness. And I see that all the time. And then I left that day knowing that she was about to die. And I put in my book where I was like, I am dreading her death. Like, I just don't know how I'm going to be able to handle this. Like, I had seen this woman three times a week for seven months. And I kept saying, like, I don't know if hospice is right for me. How can I be a good hospice nurse if I am dreading my patient's deaths? Like, I know that this is going to happen. And so, of course, since we were so close, I told everyone, I'm going to be on call. Even if I'm not on the call schedule, you need to call me when she dies. Like, I need to be there for her. We were very, very close. And so when I thought she was going to die, um, the next morning, I hadn't gotten a call all night. So I call her son to check on her, planning to go see her first thing that morning. And he told me that she had died the night before. And I was like, I'm so sorry. There must have been a horrible miscommunication. I thought everyone knew to call me. I was going to be there for you. I'm so sorry. And he said, Dad, who's her deceased husband, told her that you can't handle it and to not call you. And for me, that was a moment that I was like, wow, that's insane because no one knew those thoughts that I had had. And I mean, it was very true. I definitely could not have handled it. Oh man, I just got the chills. It's like, and once again, those goes back to those anecdotal stories that it's like you, you don't, it's like until you experience that personally and you know, you ring that to be true, uh, how do you explain that? Once again, it goes back to the I don't know, maybe things don't have to be proved. Just believe what you believe. But something like that, that hit so home, it was so accurate. It's like, I love hearing these stories because I'm like torn. I'm, I, don't, I don't know what the hell I want in regards to what happens after. It's like, life is exhausting enough, but if we could be going on for eternity, that sounds really exhausting. I've heard people say that. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's all, it's all common. But um, I mean, what, what's your opinion or in your community of hospice nurses, scientifically, whatever, is there any, like people that are listening, I've had, you know, I've had near-death experiences on, I've always had you on before and discussed these phenomenons. Is there any inkling or room for being like, oh, this is just the brain 
playing tricks on you and, you know, people, you know, have these relationships with their deceased loved ones. They could easily just be dreaming. But then I hear the correlation of it feels way too real. You know what I mean? Like when I have a dream, I haven't had a near-death experience with these visioning experiences, obviously, but I could decide, I feel like if I had a guess, there would be a massive difference. Like I, I know what a dream feels like, even when it feels real. Like, is there room for thinking that the brain is just playing a trick on these people or is just straight up something else? So the reason I don't think that, and I have delved very far into this because I, of course, had those questions too. And, you know, some of the biggest scientific naysayers, what they say is, one, they'll say it's lack of oxygen to the brain. But I have patients who have like COPD, and then I have patients who have no airway problems until they stop breathing and they see the exact same things. So to me, that's not really a good explanation for it. You know, I have people who we put a pulse oxometer on their finger who they're at 100%, so they're getting tons of oxygen who are seeing deceased loved ones. And then another thing people will say is that it's like a side effect of medication because we will typically give like morphine and things like that at end of life. But I've had patients who never take pain medications who also see their deceased loved ones. And also it's like the matter of factness about it because I have had people say to me like that they will take morphine and they're like, I'm seeing spiders. I don't think there's spiders. And I'm like, yep, there's not spiders. We need to not give you that anymore. But they talk to their loved ones in a very matter-of-fact way, just like how you and I are talking. And that has always stood out to me. And then the other thing that people say is DMT, which is like basically a drug um, that they say might be released right before death from your brain. But I found a scientific article talking about DMT, like people taking DMT and scientists studying them. And what they saw does not correlate with what I have patients see. You know, they were seeing rainbows and unicorns and the walls were moving around them. And I don't have patients report that at all. If, if they were, I would think they were having a side effect. They're just, they're just seeing their deceased loved ones. And it's nothing more than that. You know, really, occasionally pets, but that's their loved ones, in my opinion. And, you know, it's always that. And it doesn't matter their religion, doesn't matter, you know, really any other factor, which is why I'm just like, what what could possibly explain that? Because I feel like everyone has their own conceptions about life. Like, you move through life and you form your own opinions. I move through life and I form my own opinions. And, you know, even atheists have their deceased loved ones come to get them. See, I'm interested in tapping in that. Do you have an experience or any thoughts on people that, because you had the experience of someone who was very religious and she questioned it, but then I'm curious about the opposite side of the spectrum as to what you just mentioned, someone at the end of life that didn't believe in an afterlife and you've seen those people shift? Yeah, but a lot of people think that they're like suddenly like religious and that's not the case. Um, I have one in my book who's an atheist and he told me, I just don't think that anything happens once we die. And... um couple, maybe a week later, he, his deceased sister came and his wife, who was also an atheist, was like, you need to, you need to fix him. Something's wrong. Something's very wrong. And the patient was like, uh, this is just my sister. I don't know why you're so scared, my sister. Like, stop being like that. Like, she was being like rude to a guest or something, which I thought was very funny. And I told her, I was like, this is normal. It's okay. And she was like, you know, I told you I did not want you to bring religion into this. Like, she was upset. She was like, I told you that. And I was like, 
No, and we have like pamphlets, like medical scientific pamphlets that we give out that explain that this happens. And so I brought out the pamphlet and I was like, this happens no matter, like it's not about religion. Like this happens to so many people. And we don't know why, but I'm sure everyone draws their own conclusions. And she was like, okay. And she accepted it really. I find that so fascinating because I, I understood from, you know, learning from you that it is in the curriculum in regards to these experiences. Yeah. yeah it's so it's so interesting that there's no hard explanation for why yet it's in the curriculum when it comes to the medical community. I feel like everything's so precise and uh, objective in many ways, but then you have this that is like, you know, we don't know, but it happens. So we're just going to put it in there anyway without explanation. I think that's such a unique contradiction in many ways. And this is going to sound really woo. I wasn't even high or anything, but literally yesterday I was like looking up at my fan, my fan, everyone deal, bear with me what I'm about to say. I don't even know where I'm going with this, <laughs> but I was looking at my fan and I see like the little, like, you know, a chain that you pull to turn the fan on. It's just moving back and forth. I don't know. Maybe I was just like feeling emotional. I was like looking up. I was like just staring at the way it was just swaying due to the wind from the fan. I'm like, you can't even see the wind. And this is so routine. You can't even see it. And it's moving this object on the fan. And it just made me think about, I'm relating it to what you're saying because like, I can't see it. I know it's there. We know what wind is. We know how that works. But at the same time, it's like, you just can't, it's, it just seems like such a routine phenomenon that I can't see this, but I feel it. And it kind of relates to this. Like, I can't see these experiences, but you can feel it and it makes it real. Even though you can't see things sometimes and you can't explain it, even though wind is probably a terrible example to everything we're saying, but it just put me in a place of just, I don't know. I just think there's such amazing things in life every day that we see that has become so routine that just for me, just think there's something crazier and something more out there. And I, I love hearing these stories because it just makes me believe and it gives me you know a little bit of paranoia, but it makes me excited at the same time and comforting and with these experiences, how do you see, whether it's these end-of-life phenomena or just seeing people die and all the commotion around it, how do you see these experiences as a hospice nurse to make you live better? Or what lessons have you pulled from seeing so much death that can offer people to live life fuller? Yeah, I've had quite a few patients who will share with me kind of what they wish they would have done differently. And it's really totally changed my outlook on life. And so many people think that my job is very depressing and it's really not. It's very interesting to constantly have this reminder that one day your own life is going to end. And it reminds you to really, you know, live life to the fullest. I know that's such a cliche statement, but it's true. And I absolutely love that. And it's so interesting to hear from people what they would have done differently. And so many people really say that they wish that they would have lived their life for them and not for other people. And I hear that a lot where they were just very concerned about what other people have to say. And, you know, usually that advice will kind of come randomly. Um, but I find that if I'm like open to listening, they'll like really tell me more about how they felt. I had a patient not too long ago tell me that she was just so concerned with basically keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, really just kind of never mattered, you know, at the end. It just never really mattered. Like, who really cared what kind of car you drove or what clothes you wore? She's like, I don't even know where that car is or where that dress is that I just, like, had to have. <laughs> yeah. So in regards to that, because that sounds like, you know, I want to say a regret, but a recollection of things they wish they could have done, so perhaps regret. Is there anything that comes to mind of someone on their deathbed that sets anything profound or anything that stood out to you about, a positive aspect in regards to on their deathbed, they spoke out on something that they were happy with at the end of their life? 
Yeah, everyone's always happy whenever they have, like, family that they've, like, really focused on those relationships to where they have, like, great family around them, um, which I just find so important because— you know, at the end of the day, I take care of patients who are the absolute richest of the rich. I mean, I've taken care of celebrities and the poorest of the poor. I mean, I have patients who are homeless, and I'll see them in the same day, which is quite interesting. And we provide anyone who wants it a hospital bed. It's just a standard-issued hospital bed that comes to you. And what's so interesting, and I'll think about this sometimes, is that everyone dies in the same hospital bed, and it doesn't matter, you know, how rich you were. And what really will affect how good your death is, is how supportive the people around you are. You know, if you have caregivers and family that are there for you and really supporting you and, you know, money does not impact that at all. I've seen great caregivers on both ends of the spectrum. So, you know, it's really all about relationships. Yeah, it's such an important point in regards to this conversation because no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, we're all going the same way. We're all going to that deathbed, which is, sounds morbid, but I mean, it's kind of like it, it brings us together in some weird ways with our differences. You know, I, I have one more, another question uh, in, regards, in regards to the spiritual realm. I, I, most of your stories you talk about, everyone sees, not everyone, but most people see death. A lot of people see uh, their death, their deceased loved ones. Have you had any, any experiences or correlations with near-death experiences? Because, you know, those seem to be, from what I've, who I've had on the podcast, what I've heard, they seem to be com- two completely different things. Or I've had near-death experiences where people see deceased loved ones, but it seems to be the near-death experiences I hear are more like they get some kind of lesson or they see some kind of godlike or heaven or hell or something like that. Do you have any experiences like that or is it strictly seeing deceased loved ones? Yeah. So interestingly enough, actually just a couple weeks ago, I was called to admit a hospice patient from the hospital, which occasionally will happen if the hospital sends us someone, we go see them in the hospital and talk to them about it, answer their questions, they go home, and then they're officially on hospice. So I had someone where they had actually coded, you know, their heart stopped, they were clinically dead, and they brought her back. And so she came back, you know, after being you know, after a couple days, after she was able to be okay again, um, she said, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to die. And they could have treated her. It was um, basically, she was septic. So they could have treated her with antibiotics and, you know, gotten things. And so I came and I was like, I just, you need to know, like, I'm legally required to tell you that, like, you can have treatment. Like, this is not your only option. And she was like, no, I know, but I want to be on hospice. I'm ready to die. And I was like, did you see something whenever you died? I asked it a little bit more professional than that, but that's basically what I said. And she was like, yeah, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and I'm ready to go. And we brought her home, and um, she's she's still on hospice. She's still my patient. Unreal. Yeah, I mean, I've always been curious about, I haven't asked that a question, actually, in regards to the near-death experiences in hospice. I kept hearing the stories about seeing deceased loved ones, so I wasn't sure if anyone saw anything profound, because it seems like everyone I spoke to that's had a near-death had come back with some kind of answer, whether whatever that means. Have you lost anyone uh, in your life while you were a hospice nurse? Because I'm curious to see if you've noticed any differences in your grief process, you know, before, obviously, you had the loss with Taylor when you were a kid and how you've grappled with your own personal grief while having all these experiences as a hospice nurse. So have you noticed a difference in your own grief process from hospice? 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of my chapters is my mother-in-law. I actually, my mother-in-law died of a glioblastoma while I was a hospice nurse, was in my first two years. And really going through that process and being on the other side of it, uh, she did die under my company, so it's the people I knew. Um, But when she was admitted and during the visits, um, I really learned what I might be doing and how I might be on autopilot with some things. And it really changed how I operate as a hospice nurse. And no fault to my coworkers, because I'm pretty sure I did it too. You know, things like, you're like, okay, this is the form that's a DNR, which means, you know, when they die, you don't want us to do CPR. And you're like, we're taught to just go through these. And I remember sitting back whenever it was my mother-in-law and being like, I think I do that too. I think I just act like this is just a form, just like another form. Like, it's not such a serious thing. And I've really changed how I handle things. And I make sure that even though I do this all day long, that this is never just uh, another thing for me, just like another thing on the to-do list. Like I really make sure that I also understand that this is very, very difficult for them. And yeah, that, that was really difficult for me. You know, in my book, I give more explanations, but basically my mother-in-law did not get to have the peaceful death that I give to everyone. And that is what I really, really, really had an issue with, um, feeling like I had given it to so many people, but I couldn't give it to her. But through therapy and and through seeing more patients, I feel like I've come to terms with that. And I feel like I I always offer to take patients with glioblastomas now um, because I feel like I'm the absolute best person that can care for them because I have been in their shoes before. All right, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's an interesting fascination because I've always— Again, maybe a bad example, but I've always related, not always related, but I, I, I've had people on the podcast that have been Navy SEALs and have, you know, taken lives. It's, it's the opposite spectrum of what you're doing. But at the same time, I was curious if there's like a desensitization in regards to seeing so much death and how that relates to your actual life. Because one guest I had came back from war and then someone in his family died and he was like shut down. Anybody, he made the, he made the realization. So I, I just wonder if there was, like I said, uh, seeing it so much that affects your own grief process. So it's it's interesting to hear that. With all these experiences, what do you believe happens after we die? What's your personal belief? I think that there is some sort of afterlife where we are reconnected with people. I don't have all the answers, and I say that in my book too, and I'm finally okay with that. And I think that there's a lot of power in that and being like, you know what? If I go tomorrow, I feel like I've lived a life to where I'll be proud of myself if I have to stand in front of some all mystical being and say, this is how I lived my life. I feel like I'll be like, okay, you know, I'm good with how I lived my life. And that that's good with me. Hopefully it doesn't happen tomorrow, but if it does, I feel like I'm living my life to where I'll be proud to, to say how I lived it. And that that's kind of where my comfort is. I love that. I think that's so important. Um, I think that's why I think it's important to contemplate death. Every time I talk to someone, hey, what do you do? I have a podcast about death. I'm like, Jesus. And they're, they're like terrified to even just talk about my podcast. And in my back of my head, I'm like, you need to talk, you need to listen to my podcast, but it's not for everyone. Cause I do, I think that like, all the, the death you've seen, I feel like has such an importance. I'm not telling you how you've learned it, but I feel like you have such a profound answer of the way you live your life. You do contemplate that because you otherwise, how would you say what you just said? So I think it, with that explanation of thought process or experience around death, it does affect the way you live every day. And if you live like you're living with that thought process, you know, you're going to God forbid, you're on, when you are on that, uh, you know, that, that deathbed, you'll, you're able to say what you said. I live my life to the fullest, 
and you're not going to have those regrets. You know what I mean? And there's probably some regrets here and there that slip through because that's just life. But it's such a, a beautiful perspective and what more than a hospice nurse. So um, I appreciate you sharing all that. And before we get out of here, is there anything that you want to get off your chest? Is there any, besides, I, I want to plug your book one more time and I'm going to, for everyone listening, it's a, please go check it out. The in-between, it'll be out by the time this episode releases and um, you can get more in-depth information on all these stories that she just shared. She gave us a little bit of a spark note version of it. And uh, I think we'll all learn a lot from it. So I'm excited for people to tap into your new book. And uh, again, I'll put all the information on the bottom, but once again, do you have any last words or anything you want to say that perhaps we didn't cover that you want to get out there? No, I'm just so excited. I'm excited for people to read my book who, you know, feel like they need it. If you have a fear of death or even if you had a loved one on hospice yourself and you felt like, you know, maybe I fully didn't understand what was going on. I, a lot of people who have had loved ones in hospice who have read the book said that they really related to it and found comfort in it. So, yeah, if you've ever been in that situation or if you have a bit of a fear of what comes after things, I hope you find some comfort in it. I love it. So if you haven't got a taste for who she is, she's like the sweetest girl ever. And uh, she has amazing stories. Go check her out on social media. That's where, you know, probably everyone that's listening already knows you. But I'm excited to, you know, dig into that and hear it in a more in-depth, you know, manner. Because obviously we cover it in this podcast, but I'm sure you can get even some more detail when you read it. So again, uh, Nurse Hallie, thank you so much for being here. Uh, again, it's a pleasure. Perhaps we'll do this again someday when you get to your second, third, fourth, fifth book. <laughs> thank and, uh, you. XYZ. So uh, you're, you're the best. Thank you for taking the time out to be on Dead Talks for the second time. And uh, for everyone else, thank you for tuning in as always. And until next time, ciao.